Utnapishtim said to Gilgamesh, I will tell the secret. It is a secret of the gods themselves, and men have not known it until today. You know the city, Shurapak, on the bank of the Euphrates. That city was very old when I was young. The gods decided they should make a flood. Anu, the father of them, and Elil, who is warrior and counselor, and Ninurta, he who is chamberlain, and Enuga, their canal manager. Ea, far-sighted, made them all swear an oath in secrecy about their plot, so that no man alive would know. But, in order to tell me, but not break his oath, Ea himself spoke to my hut, to the walls of my hut. I heard him when I was inside of it. He said, Listen, reed hut. Listen to me, brick and brick wall. Pay attention, wall. I want you to tell the man of Shurapak, son of Ubaratutu, to take down these walls and build a boat. Leave these possessions, but search out all living things. Reject property, but save the lives. Put aboard the boat the seed of all living things. The boat you shall build shall be equally long as wide. These dimensions shall be balanced. Roof her like the sky, her entire length and breadth. I realized I spoke to my master Ea, and I paid close attention to his words. I asked him, Master, I shall do as you say, but how shall I explain myself to other people, and the elders, and the men of the city? Ea made his voice heard and spoke to me. You will tell them this, that you cannot stay in the city any longer, that you cannot tolerate the land of Elil any longer, but you must go down to the sea, out to the sea of first creation, and stay with your master Ea. There he will shower abundance on you, fowl and fish, a treasure, a harvest. In the morning you will have cakes, in the evening you will have wheat. In the morning clouds gather, in the evening rain falls. When the light of dawn appeared, the men who lived near about me had gathered around my house, and I asked the carpenter to come. The reed worker came and brought his scythe, and young men helped me haul in the timber and tar and other materials that I needed. Slaves and even children carried what they could. By the fifth day I had laid out her structure, a whole acre would be the area of her deck, a length of not less than ten poles she was from stern to stem. Across the beam she was ten poles. I gave her six decks and divided these by seven spaces. I saw to the rudder. I put down all that was needed. Three sar of bitumen I poured into the kiln. Three sar of pitch I poured into the inside. Three sar of oil the workmen fetched by basket, not counting the sar of oil which earthen matting soaked up, they stored away two more sar of oil. 
I gave them all ointment for their hands at the start of each day's work. At day's end I slaughtered oxen for a great meal and gave the workmen beer and ale to drink all day long. It was a feast, like New Year's Day. And I sacrificed a sheep each day. Then, one sundown, the boat was done. It was difficult to launch her. The rollers had to be fetched from above and placed below to advance her to the river. Once I had at least one-third of her in the water, I began to load her. I loaded everything there was, silver things, gold things, seed of all living things. All my kith and kin went on the boat. Cattle from the open country went on the boat. All kinds of craftsmen. Shamish had fixed the hour. In the morning, cakes, darkness. In the evening, wheat, rain. I saw the shape of the storm coming. It was terrifying to see. I boarded and closed the gangway. She was a floating palace. She was an enormous storehouse. I turned steerage over to my boatman. When the dawn came, the clouds gathered darkly at the base of the sky. The gods rumbled inside of it. Others marched, advancing like enemies within. The weirs and ditches overflowed. The moorings of other boats pulled out. The light of day quailed. All went dark. Even the gods wanted light to see. There was a moment's calm before the storm overwhelmed us. Then the tempest rose and brought the torrent and the flood like a weapon, like an enemy with weapons. It passed among the people and rushing through the city it killed them all. No one could see another in the darkness and the terror. The earth and sky were flooded alike, and even the gods were afraid and withdrew. They cowered beyond the world like dogs behind a wall, and Ishtar screamed like a woman giving birth. Our mistress of gods, sweet voice, was wailing. Is time reversed? Is all gone back to clay? I spoke evil with the gods. How could I have spoken that evil with you? I should have taken you to battle for this. I myself gave birth to these. They are my own children. Now they fill the sea like fish dying in their spawn. The gods of Ununaka were weeping with her. Humbled and ashamed, they wept. They were speechless. They could only watch in horror. For six days and seven nights the wind blew. The flood and tempest overwhelmed the lands. On the seventh day after the tempest had come, flood, onslaught that howled like a woman in labor. And the winds faded and the skies cleared. The sea became calm and blue, and wind became a zephyr, gentle and pleasant. Still, the lands were flooded everywhere. I looked out from the boat, Silence reigned. All mankind was gone. The plains of our lands were flooded everywhere, and all was flat as a roof. I opened the window of my house on the deck, and sunlight touched my cheek. I looked out, saw, and wept. I looked for banks, for limits to the sea. There were none. The boat came to rest against the slopes of Nimish, the mountain and did not move from there. Three days then, the fourth, 
it was held fast. A fifth and sixth day, still it did not move. When the seventh day came, I released a dove. The dove went and came back. No perching place had it found, and so it turned back. I put out a swallow, and it came back. I put out a raven, and it saw the waters receding, and it ate, preened its feathers, and did not turn around. So I released all my birds and made sacrifice to the gods. I set out a smoke offering on the mountain peak. I arranged seven pots, seven by seven pots in the embers, and I poured oils of myrtle, reeds, and pine. The gods smelled the fragrance and gathered like flies over the sacrifice. As soon as Ishtar came, she saw the swarming of the gods that Anu had gathered and said, I shall never forget. I shall never forget these times. All gods may enjoy this offering except Elil, never Elil, because he did not ask before bringing the flood and destroying my children. When Elil did come, and he saw the boat with all of us and all the living creatures, he was furious. He was angry especially with the gods of his own generation. Who survived? What life has survived? Nothing should have survived. Ninurta, his own son who used to help us with our agriculture and our wars, he said to his father, Ea must have done this. Only Ea could have done this. Ea did make his voice heard, and he spoke to Elil. You are wise, and a warrior, Elil. How could you fail to ask us before you did this? Punish the sinner for his sin. Punish the criminal for his crime. But do not destroy all living things for this. Be patient, and let this be. Instead of condemning it to destruction, instead of imposing this flood, you should let the lion diminish them. Let the wolf diminish them. Let the famine diminish them. Let even war or plague savage them, if you must. I did not tell the secrets of the gods. But it is true that Atrasus had a dream in which I spoke, and so I heard the secrets of the gods. Ea's counsel prevailed in the assembly, and Elel came over to my boat and seized my hand and brought me forward, and he led my woman up and made her kneel before me. Standing between us, he touched both our foreheads and blessed us. Until now, Utnapishtim was mortal, but henceforth he and his woman shall be as we gods are. Utnapishtim shall dwell far off, beyond the mouth of the rivers, on the edge of the world. So they took me, and made me dwell far away from mankind. So you see, Gilgamesh, I cannot help you. I cannot bring the gods together, as they gathered for me, so that you can have a life without dying. But, if you wish it, then, like me, you must first do this. You two must not sleep for six days and seven nights. And then we shall see.
Gilgamesh attempted, but as soon as he was sitting, his chin on his knees, sleep clouded him like the fog. Utnapishtim spoke to his wife and said, See this young man who wants eternal life. He cannot stop the sleep that clouds him like a fog. His wife replied, Touch him. Wake him up. Let him go back in peace to where he came from. He should go through the gate to his own land. Utnapishtim spoke to his wife. This man behaves badly. I will not wake him up. Bake his daily portion of bread and put it here by his head as he sleeps. Mark along the wall the number of days that he sleeps by the number of loaves of bread you place along it. She baked a portion of bread for him daily and placed it by his head in a row along the wall. His first day's portion was stinking, the second was discolored, the third had white mold, the fourth was soggy, the fifth was going bad, and the sixth had dried out, and the seventh was just coming out of the oven. At that moment, Utnapishtim touched him, and Gilgamesh awoke. Gilgamesh spoke. Why did you wake me? No, I have not been asleep at all. Utnapishtim said, Look, Gilgamesh, count your daily portions. The number of days you have slept... The first is stinking, the second is discolored, the third has white mold, the fourth is soggy, the fifth is going bad, the sixth is dried out. Now you're awake, and your bread is coming out of the oven. Gilgamesh said to Utnapishtim, How could I have done this? What will happen to me now? The stalkers wait on the road. Death waits in my bedroom. Wherever I go, death is there. In anger, Utnapishtim addressed Urshanabi the boatman. You can never come back here. Our harbor will cast you back to the sea. The ferry will turn you away because of this, man. Take him away with you. His hair is filthy and his body suffers. Take him. Bring him a basin to wash with and let him bathe. Throw those rotten skins he wears into the sea and let him soak until he's refreshed. Put on a new headband about his clean hair. Give him a robe to wear, so that he'd be proud of himself again. Then he may return home proudly. And this garment shall not fade, but shall look as new as it is when he reaches his home. Urshanabi took him and brought him a basin to wash with, and he washed his filthy hair. He took away his skins, and the sea carried them off. His body was soaked until he was refreshed. He put on a new headband. He put on a new robe that made him proud of himself. The garment will not fade, but will look new when he returns home. Gilgamesh and Urshanabi 
now went to the sea to prepare the boat to sail. They raised the sail, and the winds rippled them. They stood in the boat, ready to depart. Utnapishtim's woman spoke to her husband. Gilgamesh has come seeking something and is weary with his life. What will you give him to take back to his country? Utnapishtim spoke to Gilgamesh. You came seeking something, Gilgamesh, and are weary with life. So what is it that I can give you? I will give you a secret. Only the gods know this. There is a plant whose stalk is thorny, whose thorns will spike your hands. If you can win that plant, you can find rejuvenation. Utnapishtim told him where and how to gain this plant. We are forbidden to know it, so it is not told. Gilgamesh set sail in a boat. Urshanabi took him because he was an outcast and could never return. Somewhere in the very midst of the sea, we do not know where, they stopped. Gilgamesh followed instructions of Utnapishtim. What they were, we do not entirely know. The ritual and instruments of ritual that he held, he used exactly as he should. Except in one way, all was as it should be. He tied heavy stones to his feet. He jumped into the sea like a man who wanted to end his life. To the depths he went, to the depths of Apsu, where are the first fresh waters that flow from the center of the world, where the seven sages once dwelt, where that is which fills emptiness. And there he found the plant. He took the plant, and it spiked his hands. He cut the stones from his feet, and the sea threw him up on the shore. Gilgamesh called back across the sea to Urshanabi, who sailed the boat to the shore. He told him what he'd found. Urshanabi, this plant, is a plant of miracles. The breath of life comes back to one who's given it. I will take it back to Uruk. I will try it on an elder to see how well it works, and then I will try it too. And I shall be the young man that I once was. I will call this plant an old man grows into a young man. They found themselves on the shore of the sea near the mouth of the rivers, and so they did not have far to go, taking the boat now up the river to Uruk. For two days they went before they stopped to eat. 
On the third day, they finally stopped to rest for a night's sleep. Gilgamesh saw an inlet of cool water at the riverside and went to the water to wash. He set down the plant, and a snake smelled the fragrance of the plant. It came silently out of the water and carried the plant away in its mouth, swallowing it. As it slithered into the water, Gilgamesh saw how it shed its skin. Gilgamesh sat down and wept. Tears flowed down his cheeks. Oh, for what purpose, Urshanabi, have my arms grown weary? Why does the blood in my body still keep me alive? I have gained nothing. This beast of the earth takes it and is gone. The current carries it to the sea, and soon it will be back where it came from. I should have known. While I was preparing to take it, something went wrong. It was an omen to me. Gilgamesh lifted his face. It is finished. They left the boat on the shore. For two days they went before they stopped to eat. On the third day they finally stopped to rest for a night's sleep. Then they reached Urk, the sheepfold. Gilgamesh spoke to Urshanabi. It is I who built the wall of Urk, which shines like a copper band, surrounding the holiest shrine, sheepfold of Inanna, house of the sky, the home of Ishtar. Look along the long lines of its high battlements. No one will ever match them. Come up to its gateway that has stood since before anyone can remember. Look at the wall I built. These are baked bricks. It is so well built only the first men, the seven counselors, who taught us all our skills could have laid this foundation. Inside this wall there lies one square mile that is city, one square mile that is orchards, one square mile that is clay pits, and then the open ground for Ishtar and her temple. These four parts, that is the city of Uruk. So it is written and corrected by this scribe. This is Gilgamesh, the man who found out all things, he who experienced everything, he who searched everywhere and gained complete knowledge. He found out what was secret and uncovered what was hidden. He brought back the tale of the time before the flood. He journeyed far and wide until weary and at last resigned.